Father St. Benedict, chapter the 73rd. De hoc quod non omnis justitiae observat siho in faxit regula constituta, that the whole observance of perfection is not set down in this world. We have written this rule in order that by observing it in monasteries, we may show ourselves to have some degree of goodness of life and a beginning of goodness. But for him who would hasten to the perfection of religion, there are the teachings of the Holy Fathers, the following whereof bringeth a man to the height of perfection. For what page or what word is there in the divinely inspired books the Old and New Testaments, that is not a most unerring rule for human life. Or what book of the Holy Catholic Fathers doth not loudly proclaim how we may, by a straight course, reach our Creator? Moreover, the conferences of the Fathers, their institutes, and their lives and the rule of our Holy Father Basil. What are these but the instruments whereby well-living and obedient monks attain to virtue? But to us, who are slothful and negligent and of evil lives, they are cause for shame and confusion. Whoever therefore thou art, that hasteneth to thy heavenly country, Fulfill by the help of Christ this least of rules which we have written for beginners. And then, at length, thou shalt arrive under God's protection at the lofty summits of doctrine and virtue of which we have spoken above. But thou, o Lord, have mercy upon us. The concluding chapter of the Holy Rule can also be read as an introduction to it. In a certain sense, uh, chapter 73 is not only the end of the text of the Holy Rule, but the beginning of the Holy Rule. In fact, uh, one can read it in this way as an introduction, a kind of preface to the prologue, which we shall begin reading tomorrow. Chapter 73 is best read in the light of what St. Gregory the Great says in the second book of the Dialogues. The man of God, St. Benedict, uh, for St. Gregory, uh, St. Benedict is the Virdei, the Virdei, that, that, that sums up the holiness of St. Benedict. It's a marvelous expression. He's the Virdei, the man who belongs to God, who lives and moves and has his being in God, who goes toward God. The man 
whose life outside of God makes no sense. It's uh, this expression, um, much could be said about it, but it's, it's the way St. Gregory prefers to refer to St. Benedict, the weird day. The man of God, among so many miracles, wherewith he shined to the world, St. Gregory in the second book of the Dialogues, presents St. Benedict as a wonder worker and an exorcist. Uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, the, the, the portrait of St. Benedict given by St. Gregory in many ways corresponds to the holiness of life of certain modern saints uh, who were known for working wonders and for uh, delivering souls from the grip of the powers of darkness. So St. Benedict is presented as um, the wonder worker and an exorcist but then, St. Gregory says, he was also eminent for his doctrine. For he wrote a rule for monks, both excellent for discretion. This, for St. Gregory, would be the first characteristic of the holy rule, its discretion. Discretion, in the patristic sense of the word, Moderation, moderation, accommodation, and eloquent in style. St. Gregory does not hold back from expressing his admiration of the way in which St. Benedict presents his doctrine in the rule. He presents it eloquently. And in fact, there are very beautiful passages in certain chapters of the rule of whose life and conversation, if any wish to know further, life and conversation, the, the, the Latin of St. Gregory, uh, the, the, the life, vita, he refers here to the kind of biography, and conversatio refers to his manner of life, uh, the way he lived. So it's his life, kind of the factual uh, content of his biography, and then his conversatio, the way he lived. If any wish to know further, he may, in the institution of that rule, understand all his manner of life and discipline, for the holy man could not possibly teach otherwise than he lived. St. Gregory is saying that at the end of the day, yes, read this life of St. Benedict that I've, I'm giving here, but if you really want to know the heart of St. Benedict, you'll find it in the rule, because he could not teach otherwise than he lived. St. Benedict emerges from chapter 73 as a man of profound humility and poverty of spirit. He still has all the greatness of the patriarch and, at the same time, with this, all the littleness of a child. So, you know, we think sometimes, especially in the iconography of St. Benedict, uh, he's, he's represented as the patriarch. He's the father of Europe. Right? He's, um, he's 
the greatest single influence on the development of Western Christendom. And so he's often depicted in his iconography as a man of gravitas and certain noble bearing and majesty, patriarchal, fatherly. And yet, for one who reads the rule, he's a man of profound humility and poverty of spirit. It's curious, people make caricatures of the saints. And they sometimes think, well, yes, poverty spirit, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, profound humility, uh, they'll, they'll go to, to another saint. Uh, and, and they make these caricatures, you know. But uh, holiness uh, is, is, has the rich complexity of nature. If you look, you look at nature, you see this marvelous complexity. And it all works together. And so to the saints, there's a, a, a complexus of virtues that all work together. And, and sometimes we are so impressed by the grandeur of St. Benedict that we fail to see that he's a man of profound humility, he's childlike and poor in spirit. It is Psalm 130 which Psalm St. Benedict quotes at the beginning of chapter 7. And chapter 7 is the core of the world. Everything must be understood, read, interpreted in the light of chapter 7, uh, which is the via crucis of the monk, that by which a monk uh, becomes configured to the crucified Jesus. But chapter 7 begins with Psalm 130. And I think that Psalm 130 gives us a faithful spiritual portrait of our legislator, our patriarch, our leader. Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes not raised from the earth, my mind does not dwell on high things, on marvels that are beyond my reach. Bear me witness that I kept my soul ever quiet, ever at peace. Ever quiet, ever at peace. The fact that St. Benedict quotes Psalm 130 at the beginning of chapter 7 would indicate that he's setting it out as a paradigm of the sort of holiness that he would foster in his monks. In recent years, uh, a number of people have written on the um, connivance, similarity uh, between our Holy Father Benedict and St. Therese of the Child of Jesus and the Holy Face. At first glance, I mean, what does this the patriarch of, of the monks of the West have in common with this 24-year-old bourgeois Carmelite, who also happens to be a doctor of the church. <laughs> and people don't always make the connection, but in fact, in fact, um, there is a, a certain affinity, a spiritual affinity, and uh, it pleases the Holy Ghost to uh, 
create these spiritual affinities among the saints. And it is our joy to discover them. So the fact that St. Benedict begins chapter 7 with, Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes not raised from the earth, my mind does not dwell on high things, on marvels that are beyond my reach, bear me witness, that I kept my soul ever quiet and at peace. That is that's significant. St. Benedict then takes pains to say that his rule aims modestly at presenting some degree of goodness of God. I'm, I'm struck by the, the modesty, the, the self-effacement, humility of St. Benedict. But I'm saying for here, some degree of goodness of life and a beginning of goodness. A beginning of goodness. In saying this, he shows himself consistent with what he prescribes for the abbot in chapter 64. Let him so temper all things that the strong may have something to strive after, and the weak nothing at which to take alarm. The holy man, says St. Gregory, could not possibly teach otherwise than he lived. And what does he teach? Let him so temper all things that the strong may have something to strive after, and the weak nothing at which to take alarm. And there follows another testimony to the humility of St. Benedict. He claims no originality, no ground-breaking insights. He is the man of tradition. And he refers us back to the sources from which he himself received. Uh, you know what St. Paul says, um, uh, I pass on to you what I myself have received. Uh, that same phrase could be put in the mouth of St. Benedict. St. Benedict is the man of tradition. I pass on to you what I myself have received. And so he says, for him who would hasten to the perfection of religion, uh, perfection here means uh, completion, there are the teachings of the Holy Fathers the following whereof bringeth a man to the height of perfection. Um, this, this sentence is often misunderstood. We immediately think the Holy Fathers, oh yes, the Fathers of the Church. But uh, do you recall the expression used in the college for the Feast of the Transfiguration? Mm-hmm. What does it say, Father Sofrer? Um, well, I'm going to refer to the Fathers in terms of the the Old Testament. Yes. So the fathers in the college of the Feast of the Transfiguration are Moses and Elijah. So in other words, um, Moses, uh, the, the, the Pentateuch, and Elijah representing um, the prophets. And so the teachings of the fathers here for St. Benedict, and also uh, in the tradition the evangelists and the apostles are referred to as the fathers. Mm -hmm. The fathers. Uh, We we don't often allude to the apostles and evangelists as the fathers, but in fact, in the tradition, they are the fathers. So, uh, when St. Benedict speaks of the fathers, he's speaking of all the inspired authors of sacred scripture. He bears this out by saying, for what page or what word 
is there. In the divinely inspired books of the Old and New Testaments, that is not the most unerring rule for human life. I'm so impressed that he says, what page or what word? Single word of sacred scripture is enough to bring a man to the perfection of holiness. We read about this in the Desert Fathers when sometimes a monk would go to his father and say, the word. He would be given the word of sacred scripture and come back 18 years later and say, I've been repeating that word for 18 years. Can you give me another word? <laughs> so, a single word. It seems to me that what St. Thomas says in the Laodiceum uh, concerning the body of Christ, uh, that the one who receives uh, a, a, a small fragment of the sacred host receives the whole body of Christ, no less than the one who partakes of the entire host. Something analogous can be said about sacred scripture. It's not a question it's of quantity. Uh, the man who receives in faith uh, the smallest fragment of the word of God uh, thereby receives the whole word of God. And, and we see this in the lives of the saints. How many saints were passed uh, in, into holiness of life and flood gates of grace were opened uh, because they assented to a single word of sacred scripture. We see this already in the life of our father, St. Anthony of the Desert. Uh, hearing a single phrase in the singing of the gospel of the divine liturgy, he's absolutely smitten by it. He runs out of church to put it into practice. That was the beginning of the monastic life. We see it in the lives of so many other saints. A single word was enough to revolutionize their um, uh, the course of, 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 of their lives. So, uh, what page or what word? And then he says, or what book of the Holy Catholic Fathers doth not loudly proclaim how we may by a straight course reach our Creator? So, after sacred scripture, he sends us to the fathers. And then, moreover, the conferences of the fathers, their institutes and their lives, he sends us to the desert fathers. Notably, to St. John Cassian. So, St. John Cassian occupies in Benedictine life, I want to say, a huge place. Huge place. Uh, he is St. Benedict's reference here. So I was able last Sunday to preach on Conference 10 on prayer in, in St. John Passion at, at the Sunday Mass. And uh, more than one person came to me afterwards to say how helpful they found that presentation of uh, Passion's 10th Conference including Brother Athanasius, who told me that he, he read it at home in Polish. Mm. So, uh, yes. So, Cashin and the lives of the Desert Fathers, and alongside the lives of the Desert Fathers, the, the, sayings, the sayings of the Desert Fathers. And then, uh, St. Benedict adds, and the rule of our Holy Father Basil, 
Benedictine life is, and the popes have affirmed this, um, a space uh, in the church in which Eastern Christians can feel completely at home. This has long been uh, the, the view of the popes, uh, and this is why Benedictines are often charged with um, this kind of um, dialogue and hospitality, uh, because um, in a Benedictine monastery, a monk of the Eastern Church feels at home. We had a witness uh, to this here when Abi Johannes came. Abi Johannes is a, uh, an Ethiopian monk, uh, and uh, he's the exarch for all of the Ethiopian Orthodox Christians in Ireland. And he came to us and he said delightfully, he, he comes from a monastery of 2,000 monks in Ethiopia. And he said, delightfully, he said, the life at Silver Stream is exactly like life in my own monastery, only different. <laughs> <laughs> so we see that wonderful uh, sense of, um, it's, it's what St. John Paul II talks about so eloquently in Oriental Lumen. Uh, what are these, these writings but the instruments whereby well-living and obedient monks attain to virtue? Know that whenever St. Benedict uses that word, uh, obedient, uh, it's uh, with, with regard to the uh, etymology of audire. Uh, it's a very beautiful etymology because it, 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 the monk is the man who stands in front of the one who is speaking, puts himself in front of him to hearken, to, to catch every word. It's a beautiful, beautiful etymology there. But to us who are slothful and negligent and of evil lives, they are cause for shame and confusion. Because when we read the Fathers, uh, our own shortcomings and sins uh, are brought to light. So it's impossible to read uh, even the sayings of the Desert Fathers uh, without one's own sins being unmasked. And this is part of the monastic journey, having one's sins brought to light having one's sins unmasked. And just as reading the Fathers brings our sins to light, so too in the living tradition, uh, the abbot uh, has at certain times to bring a brother's sins to light and to say, brother, this is what's going on here. And this is, this is part of spiritual fatherhood. Whoever therefore thou art that hasteneth to thy heavenly country. Now this is a, a familiar turn of phrase in the Holy Rule. The monk is man, although he's to move with gravitas and, and uh, peacefully, at the same time 
He is a man characterized by alacrity, by a joyful eagerness to arrive at his destination. So for St. Benedict, there's no such thing as a foot-dragging, lollygagging, dilly-dallying monk. The monk is characterized by alacrity, uh, by a ready step, by quickness. Uh, he is eager to arrive at his destination. Fulfilled by the help of Christ, this two words, adjuvante Cristo. Uh, this is a little knock at the Pelagians, uh, in case you haven't detected that. Adjuvante Cristo. Uh, by the help of Christ, with Christ helping, St. Benedict constantly affirms our radical reliance on grace. Grace, grace. I cannot say it enough. Fulfilled by the help of Christ, this least of rules which we have written for beginners the least of rules written for beginners. And then, at length, thou shalt arrive pervenies, pervenies. Uh, thou shalt arrive at the lofty summits of doctrine and virtue under God's protection so he, he, he twice alludes to uh, the utter reliance on divine grace when he says, uh, Adjuvante Cristo Deo Protegente. Those two phrases go together. Adjuvante Cristo Deo Protegente. Christ helping, God protecting. Christ helping, God protecting. I find that enormously comforting at the end of the world. Uh, thou shalt arrive at the lofty summits of doctrine and virtue of which we have spoken above. And with this we come to the end of this reading of the Holy Rule. Tomorrow we begin afresh.